Hi, I'm your host, Krista Lusage, and welcome to the Just Be podcast, where we explore themes of justice and biblical equality. And when I say biblical equality, what I'm applying is that equality is, in fact, biblical. It's orthodox. And if it seems weird to you that I need to point that out, I want you to know that I think it's weird too. However, sadly, this often has not been a distinguishing marker of Christianity throughout church history. In 2020, we have certainly been faced with a problem of racism in America, and the church is no exception. According to LifeWay Research, churchgoers are lukewarm about diversity. More than half disagreed with the statement, my church needs to become more ethnically diverse. Only four in 10 agreed. Researchers also found that churchgoers who oppose more diversity do so with gusto. 33% strongly disagreed that their church needs to be more diverse. The reality is that it's certainly time for Christians to take stock of any and every discriminatory practice that has rooted itself into our church cultures. Thankfully, many churches have begun to realize the need for church communities to reflect the diverse communities in which they serve. It's a shame that churches are showing up late to the party on something they could and should have been at the forefront of. And of course, I'm not talking about churches that actually do this. I'm talking about the American church at large. And as we try to move into a new era of church in America and around the world, as we begin to reopen after our coronavirus quarantines, it's time to reconsider the church's deeply entrenched attitudes toward men and women. And to use a few cliches, some would say I am harping on this issue, beating a dead horse, riding a theological hobby horse, or getting up on my soapbox to boldly declare the obvious or perhaps not so obvious truth that men and women are all uniquely talented and gifted and should be able to use these talents and gifts without man-made restrictions placed on them because of their gender or other racial or ethnic boundary for that matter. I've been warned that I've been too influenced by the culture that embraces the equality of men and women. But I'd like to turn that question around because I think for too long, church doctrines on women have been influenced by a dominant cultural mindset of patriarchy and its influence on Western civilization. In the same way that the church at large should have been at the front of dismantling slavery and systemic racism, but weren't, it's time for the church to take a stand for the equality of men and women. But because we have developed a way of reading scripture that creates a whole paradigm and matrix for supporting that women's roles should have limitations, I understand that it takes some work and mental effort because what we're doing is shifting our paradigm. The more committed you were to the old paradigm, it's probably going to be more work for you to shift your paradigm, and that's okay. I mean, we are commanded to love the Lord with all of our minds. It was never intended that we go to church or school, sign off on a statement of beliefs, and put our minds at ease because supposedly the special people in charge have done all of the important thinking for us. And We get to be good little Christians and sit back and submit to their leadership on these important and challenging issues. Absolutely not. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said without hesitation in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, what could be more mind-engaging and neighbor-loving but to tackle these important issues with humility and fidelity? I'm going to read another passage of scripture to help you warm up to the mind-bending work of practicing Christianity. Romans 12, 2-6 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Catch what follows because it anticipates our own mental defense mechanism we use when we're confronted by a new and difficult idea, which is pride. It goes on to speak to our pride in verse 3 saying, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Notice, our gifts are not distributed according to our gender, but according to the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul anticipates that being transformed by the renewing of our mind is going to take some humility. So as we go on, I believe an important question to consider is, are we actually handicapping our own effectiveness as Christians, as the body of Christ, by insisting that men and women model themselves on first century patriarchal codes of conduct, or by insisting that a few time-bound and poorly understood verses about women's behavior be the hallmark of women in the church today? Are we really helping our cause by placing limitations on women while perhaps sanctioning a little too much power and authority for certain men? I've been contending that the church has historically read scripture with a lens that, although in some ways has improved the plight of women, often keeps women from functioning as fully equal members of the church. I believe we have come to a point in time in the church and in history where we need to face our biases head on. It's time to humbly re-examine the basis for putting limitations on women. This is the mind-bending journey that I've been on, and this podcast is here to help assist others on their journey. So let's ask, does the example of Jesus and his 12 male disciples set a standard for church leadership that excludes women? In 1994, Pope John Paul II tried to come out and settle the matter, and he wrote up a declaration, I'll post it in the show notes, where he basically said the main reason that women can't be ordained as priests is because of the example that Christ set by choosing 12 male apostles. And it's interesting to me that among Catholic leaders, the business of Jesus's 12 male apostles is their main argument against women's ordination. Because when you look to evangelical theologians who also oppose women's ordination, usually do not cite the 12 male apostles as a compelling part of their argument. For example, Tom Schreiner, a prominent complementarian theologian, says, A male apostolate does not prove that women should not serve as leaders, but when combined with the other evidence, it does serve as confirmatory evidence for the complementarian view. To this, I would say even Tom Schreiner is not convinced that the 12 male apostles provides any kind of sufficient basis for limiting the role of women. 
So I think it's noteworthy that even though Catholics and complementary evangelical theologians have come to the same conclusion about women's ordination, I think we need to pause and realize that they can't seem to agree on how they came to those conclusions. Like if it's not both and, maybe it's neither. I think we need to be really cautious of our own confirmation bias when we are reading and interpreting the scriptures. So even though evangelical theologians don't use the 12 male apostles as a reason for not ordaining women, I've talked to many evangelical Christians who bring this up as a compelling reason why women shouldn't be pastors. I'm always personally a bit surprised and taken aback when someone uses the example of the 12 male apostles as a reason to place limitations on the roles of women in the church. This is interesting to me because I guess in my whole life as a Christian, I've never thought of Jesus as the kind of guy who passed over women. I never thought of Jesus as the kid on the playground who, when he got his turn as team captain and got to pick teams, would pick only boys, leaving the girls feeling left out while running off to play his game with just the boys. I really hope this isn't anyone's vision of Jesus. But when I keep hearing, well, Jesus picked 12 men... I can't help but wonder if in some at least subconscious way that this is the kind of vision that some people have of Jesus. As if to say, Jesus didn't pick any girls and so we don't have to either. Maybe Jesus choosing his 12 male apostles wasn't meant to be thought of this way. So let's just first ask the question, is this even the right question to be asking? I mean, do we ask, why did Jesus choose 12 Jews. Why didn't he choose any Gentiles? Why weren't any of them old? Why weren't any of them handicapped? The list could really go on and on. But instead, let's talk about why he actually would have decided to select 12 Jewish men. Well, Jesus was a Jew and thus born into a patriarchal Jewish culture. He would work in and through his own people in order to launch his kingdom. He came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So he had to work with them through and in the culture. So what was Jesus doing? Well, Jesus was actually, by selecting disciples, establishing himself as a teacher, as a recognizable rabbi. Theologian F.F. Bruce writes that the quorum for synagogue congregation is 10 free men. So Jesus would have actually needed at least 10 men in order to have any legitimacy in the eyes of his culture. The reason Jesus made it an even dozen was that he was also providing a theological framework for understanding that he was fulfilling the promise made to the 12 tribes of Israel. Mark Mousko writes, The calling of the 12 disciples was a prophetic sign that God was sovereignly initiating a new era for Israel. The symbolism of the 12 men being representative of the 12 tribes of Abraham would have been lost on everyone had Jesus, say, chosen an equitable six men and six women. So why was it important that they be Jewish? Well, in the same way, the symbolism would have been lost if Jesus had chosen non-Jews to be his disciples in this way. This completes the arc of the story of the Abrahamic covenant. God promised that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So, God chose to meet our human need through a chosen people, sinful though they were. But then Jesus makes the old covenant irrelevant. 
So that's why things like eating kosher or being circumcised aren't necessary in order to be a Christian. What started out as a Jewish story about Israel's reconciliation to God turns out to actually be God's story about his love for all of the world and all of mankind. Jesus comes at the intersection of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. While his own teaching ministry was primarily directed toward Jews, the Great Commission is one that's directed toward all people of all tribes and nations. There are a lot of things that change between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, like What about the priesthood? That's another thing that became irrelevant because Jesus launched a priesthood of all believers. What about the temple? Well, we're told that we together make up the temple. We are the body of Christ as living stones, Peter says. So did the old restrictions on who could be a priest carry over into the New Testament? No. All believers can be priests and Jesus is our high priest. And let's consider the danger we get into when we make too much about these 12 male apostles. Because one of them turned out to be a huge traitor, and Jesus knew it when he chose him. Mark Mowitz writes again, Since Judas Iscariot was one of the 12, this makes the argument untenable that Jesus intended these men to be some sort of precedent or paradigm for church leadership. The fact that one of the 12 never actually became a church leader is an important point to consider as well. In fact, Jesus never refers to the 12 as leaders. And while the 12 assisted with Jesus's healing and teaching ministry to the Israelites, it is inconceivable that the Jewish people would have accepted this kind of ministry from Gentiles. And due to the poor status of women, where they would have been considerable difficulties for Jewish men to accept healing and instruction from. Jesus began his earthly ministry while the old covenant was still operative and also while the repercussions of the fall were still in full effect. So it mattered in a way that they were Jewish, which is something we don't often think about, but then it didn't matter moving forward after Pentecost. If you listen to my last episode on what Jesus and a couple of Marys can show us about gender equality, then you would know the disciples didn't necessarily have a pattern of welcoming and embracing women into the fold of Jesus's classroom. However, after Jesus's resurrection, we read in Acts 1 verse 14 that his disciples were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women And I think it's an interesting detail to add that they were praying together with the women. This anticipates what happens at Pentecost, where Peter gives his sermon and declares through the prophet Joel, in the last days, God will send his Holy Spirit and he will pour it out onto all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. I think we make a mistake by taking the 12 disciples too seriously in thinking that it was some sort of special exclusive group. Because we know that Jesus actually had many disciples and there were many apostles besides them. While having 12 male disciples symbolized Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament promises for the 12 tribes of Israel, they were not the only ones exclusively in Jesus's group of disciples. We read in Luke 8 that in fact, there were many women who were part of the group. And Jesus actually doesn't even consider the 12 to be his only disciples. 
One cool way we find that out is when we read in Matthew 12, when Jesus is still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers are outside and they're wanting to speak to him. And someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And Jesus replied, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Clearly, Jesus is pointing to a mixed gender group of people. When he points to them, they're called his disciples. Theologian Kenneth Bailey comments on this text. He says, The text specifically affirms that Jesus is gesturing to his disciples, whom he addresses with male and female terms. This communicates to the reader that the disciples before him were composed of men and women. So we know Jesus had lots of disciples. But what is special about the word apostle? The word apostle means witness or sent one. Apostles were people who witnessed Jesus after the resurrection and served as witnesses to others. Bear in mind that the testimony or witness of a woman was actually not considered valid in a court of law during this time. But this doesn't keep Jesus from commissioning Mary and other women to go and tell of his resurrection. But this does explain why Jesus would especially need to employ men in reaching the people of a culture who tended to think that women had no credibility. Also, it's important to note that Jesus simply isn't bound by the number 12. If you compare Luke 9 and 10 with Matthew 10, Jesus sends out 72 followers to preach the good news in a very similar manner that he sends out his 12 in Matthew chapter 10. We don't know the identities of the 72, but we have no reason to believe that there was no possibility that women were among them. Also, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, we hear mention that there were actually 500 apostles. So that's quite a few than simply 12. We also know that there's the Apostle Paul, plus there's the outstanding apostles of Romans 16, verse 7, whose names are Andronicus and Junia. Fun fact on Junia, Bible translators tried to make her name appear in a masculine form for a while because they couldn't believe that a woman would be named as an apostle. But many Bible translators today instead fail to recognize her as an outstanding apostle, and instead they try to say she's outstanding among the apostles. All to say, Jesus selected his 12 apostles because he was working within a framework that spoke to the Jews. They understood the significance of the number 12 as representative of the 12 tribes of the people of Israel, which was understood that through Abraham, God would bless all people. While Paul reiterates this in Romans 1 by saying that salvation is first for the Jews and then for the non-Jews, There is absolutely no correlation that salvation is first for men and then for women. In fact, it would really help if we could stop fixating on the fact that the 12 were men. Not only do we miss the significance of their being Jewish and how this signals of the dawning of fulfilled messianic promises, but we also give people the wrong idea about what Jesus thought about women in ministry. We simply can't use the 12 as a universal precedent for church leadership. It's just not helpful, and here's why. To start, the 12 were never called leaders. They were not pastors of local churches, and they did not serve as church elders. They were not bishops or priests. And after Pentecost, 
When they died, like say James, for example, he was not replaced so as to keep that number 12 even. What we do know is that the apostles were witnesses along with many others. To quote Marg Mousko, Jesus never stated that only men could be leaders. Jesus's only instructions about church leadership are that those who lead in the Christian community should be servants and not rulers. In conclusion, I'll leave you with a passage from Dr. Gilbert Bilizikian's book, Community 101. He writes, The great paradigm shift from old to new covenant did not occur at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, but at its end. Anyone who claims today that women should not participate fully in the ministry of the church because Jesus' apostles were male, simply does not understand the spiritual dynamic of the change that occurred from Old Covenant to New, and instead tries to force on the church, Christ's new community, the standards of ancient Judaism. The argument that women should be barred from some church ministries because Christ's apostles were all men represents a regression to pre-resurrection conditions. Consistent adherence to this rule would require that not only women be excluded from ministry, but also Gentiles, since Jesus and his apostles were Jews. If that's the case, then church leadership and ministry should then be only assumed by Jewish men. Those are some reasons why I don't think it's appropriate to use the fact that Jesus chose 12 males as his disciples as a precedent moving forward into the church today for why we can't have women in leadership. It's like comparing apples to oranges, and it just doesn't work. I hope today's podcast was helpful in helping you to perhaps deconstruct something that you thought posed a barrier for women in ministry to help see that it's not really a barrier after all. It's just the way that God was working in that time and in that way through those people. I'd love to leave off with a couple of my favorite verses found in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. May God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate it. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, why not leave a rating or review in your podcast subscriber? It really helps the show to become visible to other people who are looking to learn more about biblical equality. Also, you can connect via Facebook on the Just Be Podcast Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Thanks and until next time.